You're listening to Music Tectonics. Welcome back to Music Tectonics, where we go beneath the surface of music and tech. I'm your host, Dimitri Vitsa. I'm also the CEO and founder of Rock, Paper, Scissors, a PR firm that specializes in music, tech, music innovation, all sorts of stuff. And one of the best things about running the podcast and the PR firm is we hear about some of the coolest and newest music innovation ideas before they hit the market. And we recently got wind of a very cool one whose founder we're featuring today. You've heard about all the innovation happening with stems, right? The individual instrumental or vocal tracks that make up a recorded song. But all along, there's been this question of how does that affect anyone other than a producer or remixer? It's like got all this potential, but... What next? Well, this is a good one because it unlocks this aspect of music customization to a new audience, which is what I've been waiting for. But before we get there, our guest already has a long-standing and successful company, so we want to hear about that too. I'd like, a, like to welcome to the show Ryan Wines. He's the founder and CEO of Marmoset and Track Club. Hey, Ryan. Hey, Dimitri. Thanks for having me. Glad great, to be here. Yeah, great to have you here. Appreciate you taking the time. And I'm excited to dig in because we haven't had deep conversations, you and I, yet. And it's always fun when we can really dig in while we're recording it for a whole audience, right? <laughs> so tell Love us. It. Yes, 100%. Yeah, tell us about what Marmoset does. And then later we'll get into your new startups, Track Club. Sure. Yeah, so Marmoset is a, um, is a music agency that represents recordings from independent artists and labels tends to be uh, rare and hard to find um, music, um, some uh, vintage music as well. And we represent those recordings uh, for sync licensing um, in advertising, branding, TV and film, uh, pretty much anything you can imagine where there would be uh, a need for music, you know, usually content with video, although it could be a podcast or uh, some kind of um, experiential sort of situation. Um, but yeah, anywhere you uh, would find music um, in a, in content, um, there's a good good chance that uh, that we've we've been involved or have uh, have done something like that before. Um, I'd say the most uh, common uh, places uh, we tend to work um, more in branding and advertising than TV and film, but but we we do we do it all. Um, and every brand that you could name, imagine, or think of, we have certainly. Uh, worked with them on some level, whether it's you know the more traditional um, television commercials, all uh, Super Bowl campaigns and things like that. Um, although you know certainly a lot of content is now moved online and to all kinds of different streaming platforms and uses, and uh, we do all of that too, and it's a lot of fun. Um, the best, most exciting part, of course, is um, our connection to the artists and our ability to be part of their um, ecosystem. You know, providing um, really uh, meaningful. Um, income for those hardworking blue-collar artists and and small independent record labels, in addition to the uh, impact we're able to have on the broader community. Cool, awesome. So, how how does that work? The the sync portion on the on the brand side. Are you pitching ad agencies or or brand in-house ad people at at brands? Are they pitching you? Are they asking for stuff? Are they sending you briefs? Is it all about those relationships or these sort of this hunt? What is it? Uh, the, the simple answer is yes to everything you just said. So um, we are often um, uh, pitching to, to uh, advertising agencies, direct to brands, small companies, emerging tech companies. Um, they're often reaching out to us, uh, defining music. And you know the best situation is they find the song that they want to use and they reach out and say, let's do this. Uh, we do have a, a pretty um, 
pretty compelling, pretty successful web platform or app, as they call it, website, you know, for uh, the old timers like, like you and I, where clients can go and search, find music, um, and then find the song. And then uh, they can either uh, license it, you know, through the app or what happens most of the times they reach out to us because they're usually more complicated sort of uh, endeavors. And we'll work with them to find the perfect uh, situation terms and scenario. Uh, for that, uh, but our our app is always worth checking out. It's, it's marmosetmusic.com. It won a Webby Award mm-hmm. back in the day when it first launched. The South by Southwest Interactive Award, and um, has always been kind of on the on the um, uh, I don't know innovative uh, tip of um, of what's going on in the in the sync world. Love it, S- super cool. So um, you you got into this a little bit, but I'd like to dig a little deeper. What do you find most fulfilling about working in the music licensing and sync world? Yeah, yeah, the, you know the most the most compelling piece is the impact we can have on community. Um, our purpose at Marmoset is to be community. And, um, you know, that happens in, in a, a lot of different ways. Um, I'll try to uh, dig a little deeper. I mean, of course, there's, there's the artists, um, there's the, uh, um, uh, the staff and people that we, uh, that we work for and able to create jobs for and employ. Um, uh, there's all kinds of different, um, I guess, ways that we do that. Um, I'd say, in, uh, in the mo- mo- most simplest forms, I'd say like just by doing the most basic part of our business, helping a client find a song, you know, uh, to license for a project, just by doing our most basic thing, we share somewhere between 30 to 75% of that transaction with the artists and labels that we work with. So just by doing our most basic thing, by default, we're supporting hardworking blue collar artists and small independent record labels, putting cash into their wallets, which we know pays rents and mortgages and puts food on their tables and clothes on their kids and helps them continue to make the music and art that they want to do. So um, that's the first most important part uh, of the, I guess, of the, uh, the circle of life, as I would call it. After that, the next big part of that split that comes off of a transaction or sales with a client, um, uh, the next 25% of, of that revenue goes to support fair and equitable pay and benefits for our staff. So I like to think that's pretty impactful too. We've got about 50 full-timers and um, you know a bunch of other collaborators and contractors. And our benefits include, um, uh, our benefits have the highest amount of paid time off I've ever heard reference at any company. Um, our average uh, uh, employee um, takes about eight and a half weeks of PTO annually. Uh, we pay 100% of healthcare premiums for individuals um, and a lot for families. And um, because, you know, on some basic level, healthcare is something we shouldn't have to consistently pay out of pocket for. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, sign me up, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, it's, it's the, the work we do is hard um, and it's at times monotonous. Um, you know, it's a lot of uh, doing the same thing day to day, every day. Uh, but I'll tell you, it's it's worth it. Um, you know, seeing the impact um, to the artists and to our staff um, is 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 really worth it and i know that um you know beyond those things we also give 10 percent of every uh of of all of our uh all of our profits go to community um orgs um uh, people that uh, are working really hard um you know to make an impact uh which is always good um we gave uh over a hundred thousand dollars in 2020 um to community orgs and uh over a hundred thousand dollars in in 2022 so if you put that all together, I mean, it was almost a quarter million dollars over the over the past two years, um, and that's uh, I don't know, it's it's meaningful to know that, um, that there's a higher meaning in the in the things that you're doing. We're also a certified B Corp, um, 
it's which is a whole nother thing we, we could get into if that makes sense um but really uh you know when i boil it all down it's, it's just making impact um life is too short to uh, just build a business and do this work uh, just to amass wealth and power and make something bigger and grow, grow, grow. I mean, really for us, it's about uh, being community. Awesome. Wow, that's super cool. That's a lot of that's a lot of different stuff. And um, it's super cool to to hear that as right at the beginning of our episode, really, as, as part of the conversation. Um, I am, I'm curious to, to, you know, you mentioned the, uh, earlier you mentioned the, uh, the awards and that your website and, and platform have been kind of cutting edge all along getting these awards and so forth. It seems like from the outside yeah. that music licensing has really matured, um, in somewhat thanks to an acceptance of rights holders that digital consumption is here to stay, that there isn't just one method of, uh, you know, how to, how to quote, use music or mo- quote, monetize sure. music, but it means that it's opening up these licensing opportunities. It seems like it's unlocking more doors for more opportunities. What are some emerging trends in sync licensing that, that you're keeping an eye on? Well, you, you know, when, when we started about uh, 10, 11 years ago, we were still having a lot of conversations with artists, um, you know, about selling out. Um, there was a lot of concern that that's not that long ago. Um, where there were some artists that would decline to work with us because they looked at it as, uh, um, you know, kind of uh, being contrary to the nature of the art that they were making. And I'll be the first to tell you, I never want to represent someone's music that doesn't want to use it, uh, you know, for sync. Um, You have to be kind of all in on it for it to make sense. And I have the utmost respect for artists that want to kind of set their their work aside as something different. Um, But fast forward to today, um, you're right. There's so many opportunities, new emerging opportunities, especially as content, uh, you know, becomes um, uh, uh, so varied and so uh, personalized and individualized. I'd say that one of the biggest areas um, that we've seen um, over the past perhaps three or four, maybe five years is the creator economy. And I'm speaking about um, TikTokers and YouTubers, podcasters and Instagrammers, um, everyone or anyone uh, to be specific that has a computer and can, you know, record a video uh, or even an audio recording and then, you know, uh, release it somehow on the World Wide Web. Um, the creator economy is the fastest go- growing um, uh, small business sector globally. Hmm. I mean, it's, it's wild. And so um, anyone that's creating that content uh, practically uses, I mean, they, they virtually all use music and you know, something that's uh, really nice is in 2022, most content creators understand that they need to uh, use music uh, lawfully um, and in an appropriate and, um, uh, you know, legal way. And so um, that marketplace, as it continues to expand and evolve, is really fascinating to me. Um, and so uh, it, it's, and it's a different, um, it's a different marketplace than where we have worked historically. So you're, uh, typical TV and film music licensing or brand and advertising music licensing is a whole different um, marketplace, a different approach, a different uh, sometimes vernacular and, and um, words that we use and way to approach it. So um, I find that to be really exciting, um, really empowering, and also kind of mind-blowing if you can imagine um, how much the creator, market, uh, the creator economy will likely grow within the next five to ten years. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's crazy when you when when you get into it and you realize 
to think of those creators as businesses, the way you mentioned, as small businesses, and recognizing that music is almost always a part of some aspect of what they're doing. Um, it It's kind of mind-blowing because you go from this, yeah, like you said, some artists were like, I don't want to put my music with a brand because it's selling out. But yeah. now you know, such a high percentage of any engagement with music is related to some brand using their music, but the brands are people, you know, instead of it being like, right, just, just the, the, the Nikes and the Starbucks and the targets of the world. It's like, you know, you know, Jack yeah. and Jill yeah, and it, Muhammad yeah. and Jose and, you know, everybody's doing something it's wild. Yeah. It's wild. Um, there, there's some data that says there's there's more than 50 million creators worldwide who would identify in the creator economy as creating content or media of some kind, um, and and that's just today. This marketplace is is virtually endless. I mean, um, there was a recent survey uh, that found that American kids um, a higher percentage would rather be a YouTuber today than an astronaut when they grow up, uh, which is kind of mind-blowing I, I i'm not sure i like that statistic and i have asked my kids about it um but it's just you know the opportunity to have a platform and have a medium and to basically be and or create uh whatever your uh little heart can imagine um is is pretty wild and i, I guess i'd say like to understand the industry a little deeper it's it's interesting to know like who's funding it so Advertisers and marketers of all shapes and sizes are the biggest single source of financing behind the creator economy. So they're, in many cases, paying influencers to promote their products and services and brands. Um, it's estimated that creator sponsorships will grow to more than $20 billion uh, by the end of this year, um, which is wild. And, you know, and, and again, asking why, did, why does this matter to our conversation right now? It's because nearly all of the content being created, you know, uh, features music. And so, um, you know, it's, Again, a different marketplace uh, emerging and running uh, very quickly, um, but also just really, really fascinating. I, I, I try to think about where it will be, you know, three, five, ten years from now. It's it's hard to imagine. Um, if and if you're following in technology, the evolution from um, from the initial uh, um, internet, um, you know, boom back in the I don't know, perhaps like late '90s. Um, to what's been called Web 2.0, which is you know where a lot of your your Facebooks and um, uh, Googles and um, I guess pay to play kind of gated, um, uh, or you know you have to have an account and you stay within the the ecosystem sort of um, uh, concepts. To what's emerging now, uh, the conversations around Web 3.0, you hear about most uh, through the um, uh, words around. Uh, uh, blockchain and um, maybe crypto or NFTs, um, we're, we're just on the, the very tip of the spear, the tip of the iceberg on Web 3.0. And so to think about where it may go, and, and I guess to dig a little deeper, that's it, the concept is really about opening, opening things up um, a little more open source than what Web 2.0 is. Uh, and I, I think when we get there, whatever there is, it's going to really empower creators to um, to, to create and do and participate, um, engage uh, online in a way that's never been done before. I don't think we're going to be held to, say, Instagram or TikTok. It's going to have content and creators that can um, really be, uh, um, you know, new, uh, I guess, brand or platform uh, neutral. Um, it's probably a better way of saying that. But where they, you know, you, you, you uh, no longer 
does some big uh, corporation hold the keys to how you're putting your content out? It's really going to take form with a lot more freedom, um, which is really interesting to think about. Yeah, cool. So I think this is a good setup for talking about your startup track club. But before we get there, we're going to take a break. And I, I, I want to make sure we get back to a little bit about this sync role too, even before that. So when we come back, I'm going to ask you a bit about what, uh, what kind of resources are out there for music supervisors. We will be right back. Well, this is a fun episode. Hey, it's Dimitri with Music Tectonics. I've also got Shaley Ankenbrook and uh, Ben Westenberger with me. Hey, guys. Hey, how's it going, everybody? This is Shaylee. I'm the conference planner for Music Tectonics, and I'm so excited for Music Biz this year. Hi, everybody. I'm Ben Westenberger. I'm the business development coordinator at Rock, Paper, Scissors, and I'm super excited to go to my first ever Music Biz. Yeah, so we just thought we'd give you a quick mention that we'll be at Music Biz, and we hope you will be too. If you can come out to it, make sure to reach out to us. Let's get together. And we thought we'd just take a quick break uh, from the podcast and tell you a little bit about what we're up to. I know that on uh, Tuesday night, we'll be at the In The Know party that Tom Truitt hosts. We're actually co-sponsoring that at Music Tectonics, so excited for that. And then I'll be um, moderating a panel called How to Activate Startup Talent in Today's Music business on Monday from 11 a.m. And that's a partnership we're doing with Universal Music Group. They are doing a whole series of programming for music tech startups. So super excited to uh, be a part of that and uh, hope you'll be able to come out for some of that. Some of that stuff is workshops that are invitation only. You can still sign up to try to be one of the startups in basically onboarding with Universal Music. But regardless of whether you do that, I know on that Monday there's a startup mixer from 4 p.m. that Shaylee and I are going to co-host with UMG. Uh, Shaylee, what else are we excited about at Music Biz? Yeah, so another thing that I'm most excited about is Universal's doing a panel called The Female Experience in Music Tech. Um, there's going to be some great panelists from Universal, Spotify, and Island Records. Uh, that's going to be on Tuesday morning at 9:30. And I just think this is a really amazing opportunity to bring together not only the music and or not only the women in the music industry, but kind of all the executives in the music industry, and dive into some of these systematic issues that we're seeing. Um, and then this is followed by two days of leadership and networking events, so it should be a good time. Yeah, super cool that Universal is doing both this focus on startups, especially those from the southeast part of the U.S., and uh, putting a highlight on, on women in music tech and sort of doing not only building like a network of, of women who can continue to build from each other, um, but also just bringing some awareness to some of the challenges of being a, a woman in the music industry and, and uh, growing your career and leadership and so forth. So that's super cool. Ben, like you said, it's your first uh, it's your first music biz. Have you had a chance to look at the schedule and, and picked out some things to check out? I have. I'm super excited to get down there and shake some hands. Um, I'm excited to go to the Navigating New Strategies, how A&R, artist marketing and distribution come together in the age of streaming on Monday. Um, excited to hear about, you know, all the coming to an even playing field for independent artists. And I'm also looking forward to the Adele named Sue part of the schedule and seeing how artists are leveraging Web 3.0 and hearing from one of the co-founders of Audius. Oh yeah, Renil's going to be down there. One of our clients will be great to see him as well. Super cool. And Ben, we'll just and Shaylee, we'll all just kind of be around, right? We're looking to meet up with as many innovators and startups uh, that might want to check out Music Tectonics and Rock Paper Scissors. Should be fun. Oh yeah. 
Sounds fun. And so uh, again, if you want to check out the um, the UMG startup component, if you want to apply to be one of the startups in their workshop, we'll put a link in our ne- newsletter, um, or um, you can check it out on the Music Biz schedule. That's their series of workshops that start May 9th. All right, guys, let's uh, let's start packing up for Nashville. All right, peace Sounds out, great. everyone. See you in Nashville. All right, we're back. And as I mentioned right before the break, Ryan, I want to ask you, if, if you were a new music supervisor, what resources would you want to know about? What are the, the conferences, the newsletters, the trade groups? Where do you start? Yeah, it's, it's pretty overwhelming, all the opportunities and all the places you can go. Um, again, uh, you know, if we go back to when we started um, you know, 10, 10, 11 years ago, um, and I'm sure you remember this, Dimitri, it was all about the, the, the cool music blogs. Um, oh, yeah. there was, you know, places like, uh, you know, gorilla versus bear or stereo gum or, um, uh, even pitchfork. Uh, there were all these really cool, um, kind of, uh, kind of DIY kind of indie, uh, music discovery places that, um, a lot of music supervisors, uh, would use to find new music. Now it seems that, um, you know, streaming music platforms have really taken over as being go-to, um, resources for how people find and explore music. Um, that said, you know, there are certainly newsletters and conferences and things you can go to. Um, I'll, I'll share uh, just one that I personally really enjoy, and it's off the beaten path and, and very, um, I think, specific and unique. Um, but there's a songwriting festival uh, that happens in Hawaii um, called the Hawaii Songwriters Festival, of, of all things. And um, been, uh, I've been participating, and Marmoset has been a, a sponsor of um, – uh, of uh, scholarships for access uh, from um, for Hawaiians uh, for the past maybe six or seven years, um, and they certainly took a break in in COVID. But um, the experience has been uh, so so special. So if you've ever been to a tropical island or or Hawaii, you have to know when, when you're there, you just get caught up in the you know in the vibe. You get caught up in the magic of being on an island. But then um, to to uh, what what generally happens there is the um, music industry from um, the mainland, let's say, um, goes over to Hawaii to basically take um, knowledge and wisdom and experience and conversations and mentorship um, to locals on the islands. Because, you know, proximity-wise, it's hard for folks to, um, you know, to get over to the the mainland and really um, have access to all those things. And so um, myself and many other uh, of of our competitors and professional uh, uh, friends and colleagues, we all go over there for um, a week and a half to uh, to just immerse ourselves and be available as a resource to um, to Hawaiians, and it's so fun. There's so much music discovery. There's so much up and coming talent um, that goes over there. Um, and uh, the first half is a conference, as you can imagine, where um, all different kind of uh, uh, nooks and crannies and um, aspects of of the music industry. A lot of songwriting is the focus. So songwriting groups and um, production groups and um, panels and, and talks. Uh, but then the second half of the conference um, is actually a, a, an immersive uh, workshop where um, it's, I believe it's at, uh, application um, uh, and acceptance um, only. It's a smaller group of perhaps, I don't know, 20 or 30, um, uh, I'll call them students or attendees, um, who then go deep dive with, um, there's companies like like myself, there's companies like Secret Road, um, uh, publishing and, and uh, several other companies that, uh, and music agencies that go over there and really um, uh, get in the trenches and create music and create music for sync. And it's a blast. Um, there's some uh, uh, celebrities and um, uh, uh, 
um, kind of behind the scenes uh, songwriters and, and producers who are who are in on major uh, major uh, music and radio hits. But um, it's just a really fascinating um, experience. And for anyone that ever has the opportunity to be part of it or to go, um, I highly encourage it. And if anybody kind of wants to hear more about it, I'm, I'm a bit of an ambassador for the Sounds Hawaii like Songwriting <laughs> Festival. Um, so uh, hit me up if you're interested in seeing, you know, perhaps you want to uh, contribute scholarships so people can attend, or perhaps you want to be part of it and attend. Um, there's lots of opportunities to get into it. But that's that's one way that I stay um, connected and find a really good um, uh, engagement with the industry. That's cool. It was not the answer I was expecting. And uh, super cool just shows to just goes to show that um, you're you're looking off the beaten path sometimes, which is super probably a great place to be as somebody who's a curator to curators of music. That's right. So earlier you were talking about the um, kind of this emergence of the creator economy, and uh, I mentioned yeah. in the intro that you guys have this startup that's related to to kind of a new way to think about how to use music, but. Um, you've launched Track Club. Why don't you just tell us about that and and why you started it? Sure. Yeah. Well, um, you know, Marma said this is the mothership. Um, we've been doing music licensing, um, you know, for uh, for a while now. And as this, uh, as I explained earlier, this new marketplace has taken off over the past three or four years in the creator economy. Um, uh, the traditional sync music, uh, I'd say, approach and 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 uh, industry is not uh, by default uh, well positioned to serve this creator economy. And so um, as a solution to this growing need, um, you know, there has been an emergence of um, you know, creator uh, sync platforms um, that have taken off. Um, you know, to, to name a, a few, you know, I could name uh, uh, Epidemic Sound or Artlist or Soundstripe, which are all, uh, all companies that are on the, on the leading edge of that and, and ones that I, I uh, uh, have, have some um, admiration for the way that they've, uh, they've taken off. Um, and so uh, to serve that economy a little bit better, um, we have launched uh, Track Club um, as a uh, spinoff of Marmoset. And so, um, you know, where the, uh, let's say, traditional music licensing clients, say for TV or film or, or, or broadcast advertising, um, when they want a song, they tend to want one song at a time. So they would come to Marmoset and uh, they'd find a song that they like, and then they would uh, negotiate terms. And then we would have there be a contract for the song, and you know, it's it's a very um, kind of uh, relationship based, one on one project, you know, to make it happen. Um, and you know, uh, 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 you know, the fees can be um, can be well, they can be varied. You know, um, they could you know, to have a song in a broadcast brand commercial or a, a film could be in upwards of a hundred k or more. Um, and if it's you know uh, smaller, uh, more specific uh, um, content, let's say for a platform like Facebook or or Instagram or an ad like that, it, you know it could be you know I don't know two or three or four thousand dollars you know for that placement. Um, but those again are kind of these one-off, one-at-a-time sort of transactions. Well, the creator marketplace, if you're a YouTuber, a TikToker, an Instagram, or a podcaster like yourself, Dimitri, um, you know, you probably don't have the resources, you know, to spend, you know, even, you know, one or two thousand dollars per song you're going to use, you know, in in each, let's say, episode or or um, or show or you know whatever your content is you're doing. And so, and and, and also the if you're putting out content, let's say weekly or daily. Um, you know, you don't have the time to go back and forth, uh, emailing or calling, um, you know. So 
what it really lends itself to is a subscription platform where you pay a, a monthly or an annual fee, um, and then you can um, it's self serve. So you have access to a platform. Um, let's just say say it's similar to maybe using Netflix or Disney Plus or Amazon or something where you have your login, you go in, you find the content that you want to use. For us, it's the music you want to use, and you can just grab and go. There's no slowing down to negotiate terms or email someone back and forth and take all that time. You just use the platform, find the song you want, and um, and the I think the ease of use and the low friction is really what drives that, uh, um, I'd say, a high-volume um uh, life that is uh, being a, a creator. So it's a Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. It's a subscription-based model, or or people are paying track by track, or both. Uh, that's right. That's right. So it's it's subscription-based. So you would um, so so as we talk about Track Club, it's uh you know it's it's monthly or annually, um, and you have access to uh, all the music on the platform, which which for us is I think out of the gate we're launching with I think around five or six thousand songs. Um, on day one, and uh, we have a lot of work and a big backlog of music we're we're adding to it. So in, in a short time, we'll be probably around ten thousand songs, and then we'll just keep keep continuing to it. Um, but the the real interesting uh, piece I think for us in Track Club is um, we are the first uh, certified B Corp uh, in the game, and so if you care about um, you know where your dollars go and things like equity and transparency. Um, and long-term sustainability of uh, you know who you do business with, um, we are currently the only option um, out there that is uh, that, that 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 meets those needs uh, for sustainability and equity and long-term sustainability and good b- b- business practices. Um, b- beyond that, uh, you know, we are are also the only um, option that gives ten percent back to community orgs. You know, supporting things like social justice and houselessness and education and access to education. Um, but I'd say uh, um, once you get past kind of the purpose and values uh, part of what we're about at Track Club, um, you know, we have a really interesting feature that we're, we're learning that um, is in pretty high demand out there by high volume content creators. And that's a, a feature that we call Mixlab at Track Club. And essentially, uh, I think you led with this at the top of the show, um, you can uh, access all of the stems for a song. So if a song has maybe uh, 10 or 15 or 20 stem groups, and uh, for those that might want to know more about that, a stem group would be, you know, perhaps the percussions or the uh, guitars or the lead guitar the, and the uh, bass guitar or keyboards or vocals or uh, background vocals. Like each one of those, let's call them instrument groups, um, would be a stem group. And so um, if you find a song on Track Club that you like, every song on Track Club has all the stems available. So if you want to download all the stems, you can do that. And, and why, why would someone want to download all the stems? Well, if you uh, have some advanced skills in production or music production, you might want to bring those into your own uh, platform, your own computer, and uh, customize the song on your own. Um, however, if you don't have those advanced skills to download all the stems and, and uh, kind of freeform craft, craft the song how you want it to be crafted, you can actually use this, this in-app feature called Mixlab where you can customize the song to make it exactly what you need. And so... What does that look like? It looks like uh, you know you have a song, and let's say the kick drum is a little too loud, or maybe the lead guitar is a little too distracting for your podcast. Um, you can open up the mix the mix uh, lab uh, feature, and you could mute the kick drum, or you could turn down that distracting lead guitar. You could um, mute the vocals. Um, you can make all the adjustments in the song to make it hundred uh, percent original uh, to what you need. So you you are essentially in the producer chair. You can just, Picture yourself at a big board and you're turning levels up and turning them down. 
That's what you're doing in Track Club. And then when you get the song just right, just how you want it, you can actually just press and click a download button. And so your custom mix of what you just created, uh, you know, co-producing the song with us, you can download it right there in the moment as an MP3 or a high-res uh, April wave to your computer. And then you can use that in your podcast or your TikTok or your YouTube. Um, and you can actually, uh, you know, have it any way you like. And so, you know, while we may only be launching with 5,000 songs and we'll soon be up to 10,000 songs, um, in reality, uh, you've got infinite songs because you can change them and customize each and every song to be exactly what you want it to be. So the, the variation and options are, are really kind of crazy. And, um, and that's, that's us at Marmoset uh, betting on um, uh, customization needs uh, being the future uh, for music licensing, being able to have it how you want it, um, no longer having to sift through you know, tens of thousands or even hundreds of songs to find that perfect song. You can now create that perfect song. Um, and it's, it's pretty exciting. That's cool. You know, um, you know, I've been in the industry for a couple decades and uh, not directly involved with any kind of sync or mu music supervising or anything like that. But I, I, I remember just probably a decade ago when people would say, well, what do you need to do to get your song sync? Well, make sure you've got an instrumental version. You know, and that was that was kind of right. have both right, right. You know, have both sides of the rights uh, for for the song cleared, and uh, and have an instrumental version. And then later, people started saying, "Well, make sure you have stems." You know, and so so that came along. But again, that that wasn't like a a, a web based editor, a WYSIWYG editor of muting certain <laughs> certain uh, stem tracks or or whatever. Um, and so like this is yeah, and and it's interesting that um, what you're saying about customization kind of just parallels this idea of personalization that seems to be a really big emerging trend across all sorts of stuff, even on, you know, this is kind of a B2B offering, although it's, it's uh, or it's a B2B prosumer offering or, or something like that. But like in everything, people are expecting more and more personalization. Um, so that customization sounds uh, very, very in line with like that larger trend. What, I mean, was it that kind of experience in, in traditional um, sync that led to the idea of Mixlab? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, as you explained, you know, it emerged, I don't know, five years ago, uh, plus or minus, where, you know, some of our traditional uh, clients um, on the uh, for sync licensing would ask for stems because they wanted to make some adjustments and customizations. And so, you know, we started started getting ahead of that back then. Um, so we saw, we saw it coming, but, you know, the there's just so much about the creator economy as it's growing so rapidly um, this is about in, individualization and individual expression and each person, um, you know, really wanting to make their unique um, uh, statement um, on whatever they're doing. And so to be able to have that level of customization is, is huge. And, you know, also just, just kind of thinking about the way this industry has historically worked. I mean, we have, there's competitors out there, um, uh, perhaps let's say APM music. They, they have uh, almost a million tracks in their catalog and that they're a really big one. Um, uh, I believe they're backed or owned by, 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 by Sony. Um, and there's, there's other really big ones like audio networks. There's a company called mega tracks and they all boast more than 200,000 songs in their catalog. Um, and some of the newer entries that I, perhaps I mentioned earlier, I think they've got somewhere between 30 to 50,000 songs, um, right out of the gate. But my question is like, who needs that much music as a, um, 
as somebody who has, you know, uh, supervised before, like I don't want to look through hundreds of thousands of, of tracks to find the perfect song. Like I want to get in and get out. You know, time is really, really valuable. And so, uh, you know, our, our like overarching statement is less is more. Um, we don't need, you know, hundreds of thousands of songs. Um, what we need is one really, really, really high quality uh, roster of artists and one really, really high quality catalog of music uh, to start with. And it doesn't have to be huge if the quality is really high because uh, I, I have a strong belief that better is always better than more, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so better is always better than more. And then, you know, if you start with better, then having this, uh, you know, virtually endless customization in your hands, um, it really empowers creators to, um, you know, to have the best and to be able to customize as they need and save a lot of time, save a lot of energy of digging. Um, with, you know, I, I like digging, but I like digging through record crates, you know, at a record shop. That's fun, therapeutic, and, and, and so enjoyable for me. But I don't want to dig through, you know, endless, uh, you know, digital music files on somebody's website. I don't care how much I like your website or you know, how cool of a company you might be. Like, that's just not what I want to do with my time. I want to be um, getting my work done so I can, uh, you know, do something else or move on to the next project. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see also just the the ease of use, the ability for people who normally wouldn't have access to stems, but also wouldn't have necessarily want to spend a lot of time customizing a song. But once it becomes easy, new use cases emerge. So the creativity will be super right. interesting to see. Like, you know, somebody has a theme song, but then somehow they weave in just part of the theme song in their YouTube video or their podcast or, or whatever it is. Or, I mean, you mentioned TikTok. I don't know if, I don't know if track club stuff is, is available for licensing directly into to TikTok, but you could imagine a lot of interesting things happen. You see so much, you know, the, 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 the genre of TikTok videos. Well, there's many genres of TikTok videos, but where an, an element gets isolated from a dance or a stunt, a prank, a mistake, any of those things, well, different stems could be associated with different aspects of that, you know, that prank sure. or that, that, that menu recipe demo or, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what's fascinating about TikTok is, you know, it started off, um, I'm, I'm going to pretend like I know because I do not dabble in TikTok very often, but um, I'm going to pretend like I know and say, I, I believe it started off with uh, perhaps 30 second videos. And it really felt like a big karaoke machine in the beginning hmm. where everybody was doing, uh, using uh, mainstream popular music or classics uh, to do fun, interesting, zany uh, videos, you know, to them. Uh, so kind of like a karaoke machine. And then, you know, over time it started expanding. I think they, they went out from there maybe to 60 or a hundred, a minute 30 um, on their format. And you started seeing a lot more interesting things happening on TikTok. And it kind of left the karaoke machine behind. Uh, it still has some of those qualities if you want to do that, but it, it just became uh, even more interesting in what people could do. And um, I, don't, I don't know if a lot of people know this yet because I haven't, I've had to look for it to really find it, but TikTok has recently expanded to 10 minute formats. So you can do a long form 10 minutes on TikTok. And um, you know the way I see it, putting my, my entrepreneur business hat on is, I see TikTok putting a really big target on YouTube and other uh, other like long format um, uh, story driven uh, platforms, um, and saying we're coming after you. We're not just going to be the uh, the karaoke machine. And so if, you know, with ten minute format, you're going to have a lot more of the um, you know explainer videos, how to videos, expert videos, entertainer videos, interview uh, sort of videos taking place. And so the uh, you know the the, the mainstream uh, or classic uh, you know top forty songs. 
you know, may not be the ideal medium anymore for music. There, there's going to be and already is a, a need for um, music that, that we provide on Track Club. Um, and, and when you can customize that, because uh, let's say you are doing an interview video, but you want to have some music you, you know, turn up and turn down at times, um, you're going to want to carve that out so that, uh, you know, you might have a beat or you might have something more ambient, but you don't want to be competing with that as you're having your interview. And so it really lends itself to the customization feature and the access of a subscription licensing platform like Track Club. And it's exciting. I mean, who knows where, where TikTok is going to go? And I don't think any of us saw TikTok coming, you know, two years ago or three years ago. I don't think we see the next thing coming either, but I can guarantee you three or four years from now, there will be something else. Um, I don't know what it will be called. Uh, perhaps it'll be an evolution of TikTok or something completely different, but there's always something new coming. And you know what we're trying to do through customization and, uh, and having the streaming platform is to make sure that we are as malleable and as accessible uh, to whatever may come in the future. So we're trying to get a few steps ahead. Um, as we go. You know, I do want to push you on what's coming in the future, um, but not quite yet. Um, you know, and you mentioned this thing about uh, TikTok's kind of gunning for YouTube. We actually did a news roundup here on Music uh, Tectonics just a couple of weeks ago. Our director of strategy at RPS, Tristra, and our Music Tectonics conference planner, Shaylee, and I did a news roundup. And Tristra found an article that is actually talking about how the explosive views out of the gate on some music YouTube videos are not what they used to be. And there was no, there was actually no mention of TikTok in the entire article. Um, but I was like, wow. um, I mean, there was conversation about longer YouTube videos. So, so you get, when, when the videos are longer, you get fewer videos or you get fewer views, right? Because people are engaging in a single video for, for a longer period. So in terms of watch time and in terms of advertising, especially, you know, in message or in, in message, in video, um, uh, ad breaks, that's still fine, right? Like, cause YouTube's kind of good, yeah. good at that. But in terms of those, those view numbers, it is interesting to see that they didn't mention TikTok, but, um, I think you might be right, yeah. Ryan. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's fascinating. I mean, uh, I don't think I am a, uh, a typical uh, use case or data point uh, to, be, to be talking about, but I will say like, I do tend to listen to um, you know, long, a lot of long format uh, podcasts. And if you would have told me five years ago um, that, that I was going to be listening to a, a lot of hour and a half, two hour um, uh, podcast shows, uh, whether it be interview or, or story driven, I would have said, no way, I'm never going to listen to something that's that long. Like give me a 20 minute, uh, 15, 10, 20 minute little bit. And that's all I'm going to have time for. Um, but the format getting longer is fascinating. And, um, yeah, it's, it, I, I don't know if, if it just provides for a more like deep dive into whatever the content, um, uh, you know, uh, is, uh, or the material is, or that, that is fascinating or what, but, I at least again, I'm not a good a good use case necessarily necessarily uh, from a demographic standpoint, but um, I certainly see an emergence of the the really deep dive longer format content being um, you know being a a real a real hit. I mean, if you look at uh, you know if I want to be controversial, let's talk about Joe Rogan. You know, I mean that that show I think typically is an hour and a half maybe or two hours, and it's I think I've heard this the best uh, most listen to show on Spotify. That's wild that people are taking an hour and a half to two hours to listen to anything, let alone a show. I mean, I don't think most That's movie attention length. span is that long when it comes to, yeah, but people aren't spending that much time on a new album, are they? 
Yeah. I, mean, I, I don't know. You, you mean listening or making one? No, just kidding. Um, that's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah, both. Yes, the both. Yeah, no, I mean, I think maybe what, what as people have kind of, you know, the, the, the digital, the, the digital evolution to where people are finding the things that are specifically interesting to them, they can spend more time on it instead of dabbling in lots of little little bits. And so we have this interesting ability now to kind of go broad, but also to go deep. And I think people like to go deep once they found something they've liked and that, that leads to, to long form. All right. So it's time for something that we do on every episode pretty much is where we ask you to get a little sci-fi with us. Okay. What revolutions in ground shaking do you think will take place in sync in the next five to 10 years, Ryan? I know you've kind of hinted at some of this stuff, but let's go a little bit further and, and, and then we'll wrap up for the day. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to try going, uh, two different directions if that's okay. Yeah. Uh, one, one, I would just kind of put a, um, and I'd like to underline what I said earlier, what the, the emergence of web 3.0 is, you know, we're just barely seeing the first little sprinkles of what it's going to be. Um, and so as I look three to five years ahead, um, I don't think most people, whether you're just engaging as a kind of a passive consumer, or if you are the creator, I don't see a lot of people being, um, you know, staying on one platform or two platforms very, very much. So your, you know, Instagram, having an Instagram account, I think I know a lot of people like, don't necessarily like the idea of having an Instagram account. They'd love to just go dabble and, and check it out and watch, but the the like having the account sometimes feels like I don't know a little laborious. Or having a Facebook account, um, I think people would rather just like passively view and passively um, share content than feel like they have an account where they're locked in a gated community, um, and and it doesn't really translate from one to another. So. Yeah, let As me we dream right, forward. Yeah, so so are you are you yeah. saying? Let me just to clarify: Are you saying that people do want to post content? They just don't want to feel like it's on sort of an expected time frame, and necessarily like that they need to identify with it, okay. or that people are like looking back at a thread of everything they've done. Uh, yeah, I, I I see something that looks a lot more open source, um, and so like if we you know, it, and some of this you know is, is total you know, prognostication and guessing, but but imagine. Imagine something that maybe meets some of the core needs of a of a Facebook or an Instagram or a TikTok, but um, but feels more open source, and so it's it's um, uh, not really any walls around it. Um, uh, maybe it's uh, I'm trying to think like you know, the Reddit community feels that way a little bit, mm-hmm. although you know, it is on the Reddit platform, but it doesn't. You don't feel really trapped. You feel like you can kind of just get in, get the information you need, maybe post, maybe vote up, maybe share and get out. Um, I'm trying to think of some other examples. Uh, uh, what's the, um, uh, what's the uh, discord? Um, and, and while discord, you know, is kind of a more open source alternative to maybe something like Slack. Um, it's uh, people really enjoy how, how freeing and how empowered you feel by the kind of open nature of it and not feeling like you have to uh, be trapped or, there's no paywall and things like that. So um, I think it's going to be something a lot more freeing. And I, I do believe that from an infrastructure standpoint, it, it may uh, it may have the, the DNA of something like blockchain, um, where all the information is kind of open and flowing, you know, in, in the cryptocurrency world, you know, that is a non, you know, uh, that's breaking out of the, you know, the, the you know, country based, you know, currency uh, to something that's uh, open and is basically controlled by a uh, a kind of an, uh, an open mass 
audience that is, uh, you know, little accountability in terms of, I don't know, beliefs or values, you know, it just, it just is. And so if you can, and I know that's a very kind of blurry and ambiguous, uh, you know, sort of, um, uh, you know, thought that I just laid out there, but it's, I, I do see something that's going to be, uh, it's going to give, uh, it's going to make it hard for, um, that traditional, I mean, even if we go back to MySpace, like the, those traditional, um, uh, platforms, I think are going to go to the wayside and, you know, they're very well, very well maybe a brand, um, and a tech company behind, uh, you know, this, this sort of like future platform. Uh, but I think it's going to be a lot more free flowing, um, and a lot more, um, perhaps fluid, um, even between platforms, if that makes sense. Yeah. 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 In, in both ways. Yeah. I mean, I always imagine there could be some sort of platform beneath the platform that allows you to take your friends and your likes and your interests with you when some, when one platform starts yeah. to monetize too heavily and block you and gate you from all the experiences or the, or the culture shifts there. And you're like, I don't want to be a part of this anymore. And you're like that, no problem. I'll just take this template of these same interest likes connections. Maybe there's multiple, a hierarchy of connections, my best friends, my acquaintances and random people I've interacted with on the, 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 whatever the metaverse, the internet, whatever it is at that moment in time. We're just going to go over here now. Now all of a sudden it's social video, but we've got the same connections or it's, I don't know, right. music remixes, but we're, we've got the same connections. I don't know. It's a cool idea. Um, it's hard to imagine exactly, yeah, what that looks and feels like. And it's, it sucks to be like, kind of like looking into the future and have that question mark. Like what is, like you said, what is going to be the, the next format or the, the next platform? Like who would imagine that 30 second funny videos would take the entire world by storm, you know? Yeah, I, I think a fascinating model, you know, to bring it back to sync licensing, um, you know, you know, perhaps is to look at something like the Creative Commons um, uh, realm, and where you can go to. Um, I believe there's there's at least one central site, if not multiple uh, options for Creative Commons, where you can look at you know photographs and videos and music and different media, and uh, you know, based on um, how each. A piece of media is uh, is 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 labeled or is um, is cataloged. You can use it for different reasons, you know, with attribution, without att attribution, you know, with pay, without pay, uh, depending on what you're doing. Um, and 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 so, if you can imagine something that's a little more open like that, but where w when you use a song, uh, there is this blockchain um, feature where the uh, agreement goes with the song wherever it goes. The ownership rights flow with it. Um, it's basically an electronic contract that is embedded in the song um, that states the terms and states, uh, you know, uh, what the what the price will be, how you can use it, and what happens to it. Is it exclusive? Is it not exclusive? Perhaps the person who's using it or licensing the song, perhaps by paying a certain fee, they're actually also buying in, you know, a very small ownership percentage to the song. Um, you know, there's, there's really interesting ideas and concepts out there that, um, you know, perhaps might look something more similar to the, the way that Creative Commons is certainly, uh, is, is currently administered. Um, so it's, it's, it's exciting. It's right now, I think it's as, again, we're just seeing the tip of the iceberg of what Web 3.0 is. Um, there's a lot of people, you know, taking some um, uh, attempts at it that are pretty crude and, and like uh, not really uh, moving the, uh, the needle yet, but give it a little bit of time and a little bit of uh, marination. I think it will. Um, now, the other thing I want I wanted, the other seed I wanted to plant as far as what, what the future may look like in terms of the sync licensing and music and media 
Um, my hope is uh, the future looks very different than it has looked in the rearview mirror and does look today. Um, and what I mean is in terms of, uh, in terms of the makeup, um, the, the music licensing industry, the music industry, the media industries, uh, especially in, in the United States and North America, and I'd say even globally, have, um, have largely been controlled by um, you know, a very kind of monoculture of uh, you know, wealthy um, uh, well, at the very top of these organizations, you know, very wealthy, like white men kind of running the show. And, and then you know, even historically, as you look at music supervisors, you know, for like important shows and things like that, it still tends to be, uh, you know, majority, uh, white men and, and, you know, more and more women, but it's a very, uh, uh, um, homogenous, uh, culture of gatekeepers. And, and I'm really excited to see, um, how much, um, progress has been made just in the last few years in terms of uh, diversity and equity. Uh, but I really want to see this, this, our industry uh, transform and, and though, and who's doing what. And so, um, you know, we're doing a lot of uh, hard work uh, internally at Marmoset, um, you know, to, uh, to get our, um, uh, our, ourself like in, in shape, if you will. Um, and uh, looking for opportunities for us to do better in those terms. Um, and also we're looking at our clients and the kind of work we do. And are, are starting to look at them through a lens of how can we make an impact on the greater community so that we can have greater representation and, and, and really more equity um, in everything that's happening. So it's not such a homogenous, um, you know, white power structure uh, among like who has say and what happens and what doesn't. And, and I know that that can sound a little bit loaded or it can sound a little, um, you know, can make people that maybe represent like me. I'm, I'm a cis, white, straight, male. Um, with privilege. Um, it could make people that maybe look like me uh, or identify as me um, a little scared or um, anxious about uh, what that means. But, you know, what I really, um, what I really hope, um, you know, the future will look like is it's inclusive of everyone, um, including those identified like me. And it's safe and inclusive of people like me and people like you, Dimitri, and people um, who identify in, in a wide, wide array of um, uh, genders and races and orientations and classes so that, um, so that we can, um, you know, have a better community and have a better impact, um, on the, on the things we're doing. So, um, I'm really hopeful that that is what it looks like and that, um, it won't also, it's not going to be, um, you know, the rich getting richer and, um, you know, this, uh, amassing wealth and power, from a few different companies, you know, your Sony's and, and Warner's and BMG's and um, a few, you know, really powerful companies running the show. I'd love, I'd love to see a world where there's a lot more wealth distribution, a lot more power distribution, um, and just a lot more access um, for everyone. And so I, I think we're heading that way, but it's going to take, um, I think, a lot of hard work and a lot of commitment uh, for us to get there. How, I, I'm curious, like along those lines, how do you see it? Well, I mean, I, I'm, I've been an advocate for the kind of thing you're talking about since I was a, a, a kid, you know, um, a, a teenager in, in New York City um, involved in, in anti-racism and anti-sexism activism. So I'm right there with you, man. I, I really am. I, um, I, I like the hopefulness that you have. And uh, I also like that, you know, even if we're talking about like, let's go sci-fi, let's talk about the future of tech and the future of music that you bring it back to those real like human elements. Because whenever we have a question like that, we're saying, well, 
you know, who's going to have access to those innovations or who's going to drive those innovations or who's going to benefit or who's going to profit, um, from those innovations. And so those are, you're just telling it like it is, as far as I can tell, you know, like, I'm not shocked, <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm like, yeah. to me, that's that, the, the fact that you bring it up and it, it it's, it's woven throughout this conversation today, um, is, is indicative, uh, that, um, it's on your mind a lot and that you integrate it into everything from the artists you work with, the brands you work with, the teams you work with and, and how you see the future. So, um, uh, sure. I think I think it's the sure. right way to think. I think the 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 diversity in terms of like recognizing that the diversity of say America, for example, is not going away. It's only becoming more of something that needs to be addressed. And it, it honestly, it hasn't been addressed. Right. It has not been addressed, not just in yeah. the music industry, but in all industries, it hasn't really been addressed in a in in the kind of the framework that you're putting out there. So that's my reaction yeah. to it, Ryan Wines. Yeah. <laughs> Well, the thing, you, you, know, and it, you know, with that said, so I hear you saying it hasn't been addressed, and I agree with you, um, although I do find it interesting, uh, it's rather trendy in branding and marketing sure. right now uh, on all levels, you know, to be, uh, you, know, um, uh, you know, putting people of color in your advertising, to be talking about diversity, to be, you know, uh, putting uh, rainbow emojis and, you know, all your online content, but, you know, and, and you know, if, I, if I'm really pressed to ask, like, is that good or bad? Um, you know, I think I'd say authenticity is what really matters. Um, and I guess I'm glad that there's more of this in the conversation, uh, mainstream, whether it's branding and marketing or otherwise, I'm, I'm, I'm glad it's there, but I really believe authenticity matters. And so the only, the only way to really push through and know, um, you know, if this is just, uh, somebody talking to talk or if, you know, these brands and companies, whether it's music licensing, you know, or, PR firms or otherwise are walking the walk is to have some level of transparency. And so um, uh, we are, we are working really hard to kind of uh, explore um, and experiment with transparency, um, perhaps model what it could look like, not just for us, but for others. Um, uh, and so, you know, we are the first uh, company um, uh, in our, um, in our arena. And I say arena, I'll say, you know, the intersection of music and media and tech we're the first company in our arena to be brave enough to publish an annual transparency report. So we're on year two now. Um, and, and really it's, it's twofold. Um, you know, it's not just, uh, to like say, Hey, look at us. Aren't we great? We're transparent. You know, really first it's to look in the mirror, to take a really hard look in the mirror and just take inventory of like, how are we doing in, uh, all, in all areas like leadership internally or, uh, education internally or uh, in terms of the kind of artists and, and record labels that we work with and represent um, or in terms of like where we're spending our dollars and, and what we're doing there. Um, we're looking at all the things, taking inventory and then, and then really analyzing, identifying like where can we improve? Um, what areas do we need to put the most time and work into so that we can be better? Because if we're a better organization, then we're going to have a, a, a better impact on our community if we're a better impact on our community, then that has ripple effects, you know, out into industry, out into business and, and beyond. And so really, you know, publishing an, an annual transparency report is a way of providing a clear line of sight through the entire organization. It's our method of pulling back the curtain to publicly show, you know, where, where all of our shortcomings are and where we need to improve. Um, and it's also hopefully a beacon, um, an affirming beacon, not a um, one that scares people or puts people off because it looks like we're just signaling and saying how great we are, but really looking for um, affirmation to say, hey, you know, who else is interested in this? And who else cares about these values? 
who else wants to you know uh, improve their community in terms of equity, in terms of diversity, in terms of sustainability, um, in terms of impact in the community. And and what's been cool as we've been, you know, we're in year two of this is um, it's been a wonderful, wonderful um, uh, introductory talking point with uh, clients, uh, with competitors, with um, even even uh, companies uh, in the greater business community um, that aren't, aren't even in our in our arena um, to, to talk about like, you know, what kind of work it takes um, you know, to, uh, to achieve some of the things that we've been able to achieve or to be aware of the sort of areas that we need to work on that we're, where we're falling short. Um, and so, you know, starting that um, transparency report and really digging into transparency, I believe is the, is the most important piece if we want to really dig into, you know, um, how to move the needle. So your point was, you know, uh, surprise around um, the fact that there's been so little movement in the music industry, in the media industry, in the tech industry, um, on tr- things like equity and inclusion and diversity and sustainability, there has been little movement, and and yet there's a lot of talk and a lot of marketing and branding around mm-hmm. it. And yeah. there's a gap. I think what what you're identifying, Dimitri, is the gap. And so I think the way we bridge that gap is for folks to start being a little more transparent about what they're doing, and not transparency, you know, to to uh, uh, you know embarrass anyone or to make anybody feel inadequate or like they're missing the mark, but really transparency. So we can just have a, uh, a benchmark or a baseline that we can then start working to improve by. And um, I'm really interested in, in seeing like who else is willing uh, in the, in the, in the business communities and beyond who else is willing to come along um, and, and add some transparency so we can also work on this together. Um, clearly I'm, I'm fired up on the topic and really excited about it. And so um, all of that to say, if anybody out there hears this and is curious and wants to know more about what that looks like for us or what the work has been like, or um, how I might even be able to share some experience or, or some resources and support you and others on this, um, you know, hit me up at Ryan at marmosetmusic.com. Uh, or Ryan at, at trackclub.com. Like I would love to walk alongside anyone and be a, be a help, be a resource, um, you know, for doing this work because uh, we've got to, we've got to do more. Um, and, and uh, it starts with people like you and me and people that might be listening. Awesome. Well, it's super cool to, to, to get into that side of the business. Like I said, it's been full circle in the conversation. Really interesting that we've covered so many different aspects from traditional sync to emerging creator economy to this uh, kind of diversity and equity work and, and a new approach to that through transparency. The report's on your website, I think. I think I've, I've, I've read through it, it as well, which is very transparent and really interesting to, <laughs> to see that role modeling. Ryan, it's been a blast having you on the show. Thanks for, so much for, for joining us. Looking forward to running into you in person soon. Right back at you, Dimitri. Yes, next time you're in Portland or the next time I get out to your neck of the woods, would love to have a cup of tea or go for a walk with you. Dude, Let's do great. it. Awesome. Thanks for listening to Music Tectonics. If you like what you hear, please subscribe on your favorite podcast app. We have new episodes for you every week. Did you know you can dig deeper into all our episodes with the show notes at musictectonics.com. While you're there, look for the latest about our annual conference, sign up for our newsletter to get updates, or get the Music Tectonics app for music tech news. Everything we do explores seismic shifts that shake up music and technology the way the Earth's tectonic plates cause quakes and make mountains. Connect with Music Tectonics on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and find me, Dimitri Vitsa, if you can spell it, on LinkedIn. Bye-bye. You're listening to Music Tectonics.